So, hi. Um, hi, Sokna. <laughs> Thanks hi. so much for your time. Uh, so, I'll start with the introduction. I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America in COVID, an oral history project. I started this podcast in Black History Month of 2022 um, because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living working and are going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I also want to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who was a Black American who sadly lost their life to COVID-19 or just during the pandemic. And I was inspired by the work of anthropologist Zora Neale Hurston, who recorded Black Americans in their own voices. And my ultimate goal is to get my recordings into museums such as the Smithsonian Museum of African-American History and Culture. And now I'll just share a little bit about myself and then um, introduce my guests. So let's see, I'm Black American. My dad was African-American and Indigenous American. My mom is Jamaican American. I'm a fourth generation teacher. So my mom's a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica and then in New York City for 20 years. And my great-grandmother was half Irish, half Black, and she was a teacher in Jamaica up until she got married in the late 1800s. And then she had to stop working because it wasn't considered respectable for married women to work. And my mom started working after she became, after she got married. So I thought that was ironic. That's really cool. <laughs> so let's see. So without further ado, I'm really excited to speak to the daughter of my best friend from my junior year in high school. I met her mom on the flight to Barcelona, Spain. Both our last names start with K, so we sat beside each other on the airplane, and we've been best friends ever since. So <laughs> please tell us your name and where you're from. Um, so my name is Sokna Sankara, um, sometimes Sokna Kelly. <laughs> um, I am originally born in Oak Park, Illinois, and like raised in that area in Chicago. Uh, and then we briefly moved to Italy for a bit, and then Indiana, and now Hoboken. So it's kind of all over the place, but like Midwest Chicagoland area is like what feels home to me. Oh, I love that. I forgot Gino was in Italy. Right? I forget too sometimes. <laughs> so cool. So let's see. And so how do you identify? Um, um, so I identify as Black. I would specify and say like Black comma biracial, um, just because I think that's like needs to be stated. It is a true fact. And I think it's sometimes a very debatable thing. Um, but my dad is Senegalese. My parents actually met when my mom uh, did a year abroad in Senegal for anthropology. And my mom is a white American primarily like Polish and Irish descent. Um, we have like a little bit of Italian by blood, but the whole moving to Italy thing was more of just like a Gina choice because she was just a world traveler. Oh, I love that. And so I'd love to hear about your experience during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021. What was it like for you living, working, going to school? Yeah. It's crazy because I was um, 
I was thinking about like the things that I was going to talk about and everything. And like in thinking of that, it made me just like sit and realize how long we've like been in this pandemic. Cause I was like putting together all the different phases I went through, the things that we were all dealing with. And I'm like, oh my God, that was only like the first three months. <laughs> and like to think that like now, and honestly for a while in the future, we're still in this pandemic. But um, I think like, the main thing for me at like the height of it and the beginning of it um, was my activism and how that was affected during the pandemic because I was um, pretty involved during like my whole high school career. I kind of started after um, the like March for Our Lives, gun violence protests. Um, That's when I like really got into organizing on my own and starting joining movements and stuff like that. Um, And then I began working with the ACLU over the summers. So I kind of built upon like my activist network through those experiences. So the last time I was able to go to that was 2019. And then coming out of it, we were all expecting to see each other again and continue the work and everything um, throughout 2020. And obviously that's when the pandemic hit. And that was also when George Floyd and the Breonna Taylor and all of that was just like coming to a peak. And so it was a really weird space where it was like, how do you like protest and participate and stuff in a way that's COVID safe and like fully fair and ethical? (laughs) And like, you know, it was just a very confusing time to be in. And I also think that it kind of ended up shifting my participation and the way I viewed and like was an activist. Um, I think that I experienced some burnout and I feel like a lot of, I would say primarily black Americans did during that time, because especially with social media and like nothing else going on, that was like all that was on your feed. And so for me, I like, I had a really good period where it was like, I felt good about the work I was doing. I was meeting people. Um, I had this like whole forum that I did with one of my close friends where we uh, talked to people that were protesting with Lu- in Louisville and working with Brianna Taylor's family, um, people in Minneapolis with the George Floyd protests. Uh, So it was like really good to be able to be connected to people still, even across the country and just like on new ways through Zoom and all that. Uh, But then at the same time, it was just like, I felt like I was just in this bubble where all I was seeing was kind of like black trauma (laughs) on my feed. And then I would go out and there would be these crazy protests where only 12 people would show up initially and they were already getting tear gassed and having like rubber bullets like shot at them. Um, I remember I was supposed to show up at this one protest in the city of Hammond, which was close by where I lived. And my friend and I were going, she was driving and we were trying to meet the people that we were coordinating with there. And literally the city was barricaded. Like I've never seen something like that in my life. And at the time it's just so crazy and heated and it was so normalized. 
that I didn't realize like how insane it really was. Cause when I describe it, I'm like, that was actually like dystopian. Like every street that you tried to turn in to get to the city, um, was had like sandbags and bricks to like physically block people from getting in and out like full riot gear police, like on every corner. Like it was just a really crazy time. And I feel like emotionally, like I had to kind of focus on self-care and kind of direct my activism like inwards and do some more thinking than doing and seeing. So I ended up taking a break from social media and kind of just changing the way I was participating because it just became a very overwhelming for me. <laughs> and you were going to Black Lives Matter protests? Were they calling it then? Um, I think... I think some were Black Lives Matter, like specifically like the organization itself. Other ones were like in spirit of Black Lives Matter. A lot of them um, were really cool because they were just community members who were like, we're going to start a thing and we're going to do it. And I would find out about them and meet the organizers and everything. And they'd be like, we haven't ever organized anything before, but I felt really passionate about this issue. And like, I wanted to do something. Um, so I got to speak at a few uh, rallies and protests. Uh, and like I said, it was like some were bigger organizations or more established, but a lot of them were just people like just coming together. You know, I'm so excited you're sharing this because you're 21, right? I'm 21 now, yeah. So, you know, like, um, oh, I'm twice your age. I'm 42. And so everyone my age didn't go to the protest because we were like, we were, you know, basically scared of getting shot or gas. But like your generation, you're fearless. So can you talk about what it was like to be at a protest? Yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely are fearless. It's, I think... You know, it's you think of like all of these like black leaders um, from the past. And like, I remember like looking up their ages and seeing like 22, 21, 19 and being like, oh, my God, how do they do that? They did it because like when you're 21, you don't really have like a sense of mortality. And that's the only way that you can be like, oh, yeah, I'll just be on the street while they're shooting at me <laughs> um and I, I there's positives and negatives to that but I do think it's like a necessary element of some sort of like movement based in protest um I remember at the time it was just such like a heavily emotional thing for me and I think Obviously, any time that there's been like a protest regarding police brutality, that's everybody's obviously emotional about it. But with the pandemic, I think it just fueled so much more of that because it's all you were seeing. It's all anyone was talking about. There was nothing else going on. You had full time to like just engage and participate and whatever. So I just remember feeling so emotional about the matter, like just angry and upset and everything. So I was like in a very big, like, fuck it. Like, I don't care. I'm go like, I just need to be outside type of mood. I remember like my mom texting me being like, please come home. Like 
get out of that car. Do not go to the riots in Chicago. Like, follow logic, please. (laughs) Um, And I did end up listening to her a lot of the time. But uh, yeah, it was it was just a very emotional time. And I think at times it was encouraging because it was nice to see so many of these protests just put together by people that were like, we're just going to do something. And I don't care if it's perfect. And I don't care if I haven't done this before or know how to do it in the best way, but like, we're going to do it. Um, That was very encouraging to see. And I think people were also very receptive to more radical messages that were being said at the time at protests. Uh, Cause I, I know people had issues with more of a kumbaya, like we'll let the chief of police speak and be like, Oh, thank you for saying kind words. <laughs> um, There's definitely that vibe happening, but with the involvement of, I think like younger and more radical speakers, um, it was nice to see crowds being receptive to it. At the same time, though, I had never experienced militarization to that extent before, like ever in my life. And that's coming from a complete point of privilege. (laughs) Um, But also just like in my experiences with protests and events that I'd organized and stuff in the past, like I had just never seen that before. and like from things that I was actually attending, things happening in my spaces. Like I said, um, there was a protest I was supposed to go to where they were planning on shutting down a highway. And I had the number of whoever was organizing it. So we were texting to try to meet up and he wasn't responding. And then we, when we finally met up, it was only five of them left on a corner by a gas station trying to like heal themselves because the first like five people that shot that showed up, they had tear gassed and like completely like harmed like physically. And it was only like a, like barely anyone there. So it was like just immediately shut down. And I think that at the time that was in Indiana, so it's a red state. And the thing is, is like organizing there and activism there is so much more easily shut down than in a bigger city. Um, And so seeing things like that was very discouraging. Also, um, I had friends that were organizing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I feel like a lot of people have probably forgotten now, but that was where they did successfully for a moment (laughs) shut down like a highway or a bigger road and they had semi-trucks running through crowds of people. And like, I had friends that were at those protests that were saying like, I saw it and like, they didn't care. Nobody did anything. There were police there that were like arresting us and they just watched a car ram through a crowd of people and did nothing. So it was intense. (laughs) It was very intense. And then on top of it too, I, um, I knew somebody who was like immunocomp- uh, immune comp- immunocompromised. Yeah. <laughs> immunocompromised at the time. So it was just this weird tug and pull where it's like, I feel like the streets are calling me. 
<laughs> in an activist way. But then I'm like, am I going to spread COVID by doing this? Like, what is the right thing to do here? Because I don't think that this will successfully happen on social media alone or a Zoom campaign alone. It was just, um, it, I think it was a really hard time to quickly relearn how to organize in the best way. I'm glad you brought that up. Were people wearing masks at the protests? Like the people protesting? I'll be honest. I think it was a mixed bag. Um, honestly, a lot of people were wearing masks just because tear gas. <laughs> so like regardless of even if there had or hadn't been COVID, um, a lot of people will wear like a bandana soaked in like vinegar or something like that just to kind of prevent um tear gas from like harming them so it was actually a very good defense my recollection is like a little hazy now like I can kind of see images in my memory of the crowds and I want to say a lot of people did have masks on but I think it's just an obviously false statement to be like oh yeah at these protests everybody was wearing a mask and everybody was full of like fully following COVID guidelines. Like, I'm sure that wasn't happening. I'm sure people's masks fell off. I'm sure people didn't bring them. I'm sure pe some people didn't believe in them. Um, but I think it was a mixed bag. And also it was outside too. And this was early stages of COVID where regulations and guidelines were changing like weekly. I'm so glad you said that because you're reminding me like I remember in 2020, it felt like the police were literally killing black people weekly or like every other day. And yeah. I think like when the statistic, like by, I think it was by the summer, 164 black people had been killed by the police, like unarmed black people, people calling just to get help getting to their house or just walking while black. So yeah, I, I'm so glad that you went out and protested. Yeah, I think the other part of like bumping that number up too uh, was the protest. It was just like, I remember thinking at one point, like that was the craziest thing. It's like, we're, we're protesting police brutality. And I mean, already the standard is just people are refusing to see truth and logic because we're watching a video of a man dying for nine minutes. And if you don't see the problem in that, like, I don't know what to say other than get help. <laughs> um, but it was just like the back and forth in the media, primarily meaning like Fox News of like, oh, no, it's not real. There aren't these incidents. And it just felt like with the protests happening, we just saw the most examples of police brutality that I've ever seen in like a small stretch, like being recorded and shown because it's just the brutality that people faced as black people in these protests was insane. I'm so glad with like no that. repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. Like the rubber bullets. I remember I Googled rubber bullets. And I learned that the police is supposed to shoot the bullets down to the ground and they're supposed to ricochet. Off, but they were like shooting it at the people. And I was like, wow. I remember there was that um, story that blew up, which I'm sure is not the only one um, of the guy that actually lost his eye from the rubber bullets. 
Um, and then I, I remember there was this quote and I wish I could remember, uh, who originally like wrote it. Cause I would totally give them credit if I did. Uh, but I saw it on social media at the time and it was talking about the tear gas being used. And it was just like the absolute cruelty of using like airborne tear gas that affects people's ability to breathe during a protest where a man said, I can't breathe while we're in a pandemic where people are dying because they cannot breathe. Like it, it was just, it's so many layers and it's so disgusting. It, it was like too much to be able to take in and understand and fully process. I'm so glad you brought that up. I, this is, there's so much that I forgot about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm like remembering it as I'm speaking. I'm like, whoa. Because like, and while all that was happening, like the killing of the police, the Black Lives Matter protests, like thousands of people are dying every day from COVID. Like, I know I was scared of getting COVID. Were you scared or was it just like, that was like a secondary to like fighting for justice? Um, I think that when it comes to like issues involving like social justice and especially black issues, I can be kind of like, I don't want to say hot headed to like discount what I believe in or the work that I did because like, trust and believe it was very well planned and very much thought out. And I stand by it to this day. But when it comes to like jumping to action, when it's something I feel passionate about in that way, it's like, nothing's going to stop me. Um, so I feel like that's almost, it's so separate in my mind to like worrying about anything else that I almost like can't, um, combine the two. Um, but no, I was, I was very worried about COVID at the time. Um, my mom, as you know, but I'll say, uh, is a physical therapist. And so at the time, the hospitals were short on everything, short on gear, short on staff, short on beds, <laughs> everything. So what they did is they had the people who usually run ventilators and knew how to do it and have like always been doing that run the ventilators for COVID patients. And then they had like anyone else basically with a medical degree go into the hospitals where there was COVID and COVID patients and run the regular ventilators. So my mom was called into the hospitals to do that. Um, so it was just a scary time where it's like, we don't know what this is yet. We know it's bad. And like, I have a very front row seat because of like my mom's work and everything to it so I was really scared of it and we were very cautious at home like we're staying in the bubble as much as possible um I will say with it being outside and with what the regulations were at the time I felt pretty okay like having a mask on just going outside only being close by to like a few of my friends uh that I was going with at the time all that and I mean <laughs> as serious as COVID is when you're in a protest where like you know that there's tear gas you know that there's bullets they have dogs there's 
people with like KKK paraphernalia and cops standing in between you and them and they're facing you and not them. (laughs) I'm like, in that moment, I'm more scared of the police than I am of this. (laughs) So that's how I kind of felt about the whole protest situation. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You're like the first activist. Cause I don't talk to a lot of 21 year olds. Well, my nephew is 21. He was born in November of 20, uh, 2001. Um, so you're like the only other 21 year old I know. Yeah. I think you're amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Wow. Is there anything else that you want to share about COVID-19? Yeah, I would just say like the activist part of it and like being actively involved in the protests and all that, I feel like that was the very much the front end of the pandemic, like entering into it. Um, that was like a lot of what was going on for me during that summer. Um, and then as we like sink further into the pandemic, I feel like I'm not sure if it's only due to the pandemic or literally just my age, because obviously like when you're in your early twenties, you're going to go through a lot of self-discovery and whatever else. But I do think that like being on lockdown and just the changes that the pandemic has brought to us socially really like sped up like that transitional period for me where I felt like I became much more introspective than I ever had before. And I felt like I was painfully introspective before. (laughs) Um, But it gave me just a lot of time to like sit with myself and like have to deal with mental health um, and have to deal with like the fact that I might not be able to affect issues that were outside of my own home physically, just at times. Uh, like I said, it kind of changed the way that I was approaching activism just because I do have a lot of thoughts about uh, the big push that we've had in the past like five years or so with teen activism, but that might be another podcast. <laughs> um, And so, yeah, I I had a lot of time to sit and think about like the work that I was doing, how it was affecting me, how much impact it was having on the world. Uh, I ended up deleting my social media. I ended up moving eventually. There were just a lot of changes that I had. I went on a hair journey. Um, But yeah, I think it was just the time. Your hair journey, sorry. Yes, yes. Um, But I think it was just like the time of like, sitting alone with myself and like even meeting new people like once classes started and stuff like it was on zoom my camera wasn't even on half of the time like I made like one real friend in my class that I met in person (laughs) um but yeah it was just a really productive time or I don't want to say productive because I feel like that makes the pandemic sound like a good thing. Um, I would say it just like expedited some like internal and external processing that I would have naturally gone through in maybe a five-year period. Uh, But it was just all happening at once because like the main space that I had to be in was my own head. 
Um, but yeah, during that time I went on a little hair journey. Uh, I ended up shaving my head. I had sister locks for probably about 10 years or so before then. And they were beautiful. I loved them. Um, I do not regret that choice at all, but I was just like, I was so bored. And I think when it comes to like beauty standards, especially for black women, there's so much weight put on other people's perception of us. It's always like, well, you know, if I have braids versus if I have weave versus if I have natural hair versus if I have the wrong kind of natural hair (laughs) versus if I have heat damage, like how, how am I seen in the dating pool? How am I seen in the workplace? How am I seen in the black workplace versus a white workplace? Like it's, it's so much put on other people's perception of us. And I feel like I got into a really healthy space where I kind of like, detached from my body and looked at it as like, like a canvas where it was like, what do I want to see? Like, if I'm just being the create, the creative director of my own body without detaching as much external influence as I can, like, I'm not going to say like, Oh, I'm not impacted at all by white supremacy now because I was alone in my room for six months. (laughs) Like that's fully still a thing, but as much as I could, I think I detached myself from other people's perceptions. And I just looked at like, what would be interesting on me? Like, what do I want to see on myself? And so I was changing up my hair. I dyed it. I tried cutting it a little bit and I liked it, but I was like, no, I need a big change. And so one day I texted my friends again, this is me fully leaning into other people's perceptions. I was like, do you guys think I would be cute bald? <laughs> I made a whole group chat. I was like, it's an emergency. You have to respond immediately. Do you think I would be cute bald? Yes or no. And I sent a Pinterest board of bald women that I found. And then there were some mixed reviews and I just found myself in front of the mirror with scissors. And I was just, I started cutting from the back so that I wouldn't freak myself out with like an old man balding thing like when I got halfway um and I just chopped it all off and then I went downstairs and I handed my mom a bag of my hair and I was like look what I did (laughs) and I really loved it it was really cool I thought I was gonna look super different but it turns out when you get rid of your hair it just brings out your face more so I felt like I honestly looked more like myself than I had ever before and the important thing for me with the whole big chop thing was like, it's not something to necessarily embrace my natural hair. I'm not trying to like grow it out and have it be luscious and long. I obviously grew it out a little bit at some point. I have like 4C, 4B hair for those that like subscribe to that system, just for reference. Um, And yeah, it wasn't so much about like reclaiming something with my hair or anything like that, just because I felt for me in doing that, it was almost centering like a white perspective about my own hair and my own body. Like, I don't want to like embrace it to go against the standard that's been set for me. I just want to like experience it for myself. So 
I dyed it. I was bald, bald. I had like an inch of growth. Um, I did wigs for a while. I switched it up. I have braids now. I don't know what's next, but it's just been fun for me because I had the same hair for so long to just be able to play with it and like look at it as just being hair. It's obvious. It's, I feel like our hair gets so politicized and there's so much weight behind it that there was just something that felt so good about just taking scissors to my hair and being like, I don't care that it's to my waist. I'm cutting it because I want it to look this way. And if I want it to be longer, I'll get extensions. If I want it to be longer, I'll do some do grow and sew for eight and put it in braids for eight months. <laughs> like it just felt very freeing and very fun. It's fun to just play with my hair and explore creativity. And I do think that that was part of like a pandemic journey for me because I didn't have to worry or think about how people would think in my like white workplace or how people would think of it at school, you know, and I wasn't on social media anymore either. So it was like, there's no external pressure to be like, oh, you changed or I don't like it or I do like it. Or I think of, I think of you like this now. It was just kind of all about like me and like seeing myself in the mirror. Thank you so much for sharing that. I yeah. <laughs> I love hearing that. Because it's funny, like, Gina and I talked, like, your mom, Gina and I, for those mm-hmm. drink. Like, I, I chopped my hair when I was in Barcelona. Um, yeah. So, and it, you're right. It's like, you just see, like, your cheekbones more. You just yeah. see your face more. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Sokna. I yeah. Love- this is so amazing so amazing this was so fun thank you I like when I talk to you I see like parts of Gina in you so it's just so so wonderful it was funny because I did like um I had a wig that was like bangs and like dark brown straight hair and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like I'm literally just cosplaying as my mother right now (laughs) I sent her a picture like side by side I went through her Facebook and found like the last time she had bangs and I put them side by side and I was like you literally you said copy paste (laughs) and like here I am so true so true (laughs) thank you so much I'm so excited thank you so much for inviting me on like I think your project is really amazing and I'm really glad that like you thought of me and I get to be a part of it. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You're the only activist I know. That shows how old I am. I was like, (laughs) I feel like I have to clarify. Like, I don't know if I count as like a legitimate activist anymore. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much like turmoil and drama with that phrase nowadays, or at least in like the activist spaces that I (laughs) have been a part of. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did do that. I still do participate when I can. I just, I've, I've changed the way that I do it and I feel a bit more authentic and a bit more present in doing so. Wow. I like that. So, so much clarity. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. All right. I'll say bye now. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening. 
My name is Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America in COVID, an oral history project.